You're listening to the Tapis Paranormal Talking Point Podcast, a show that discusses various aspects of the paranormal world, with paranormal news, ghost stories, interviews, and much more. And without further ado, let's get into some talking points. Hi guys, Scott here from Tepes Paranormal and welcome back to another episode of the Tepes Paranormal Talking Point Podcast. So today I'm interviewing Dr. Kate Sherrill. Now Kate will go on to introduce herself during the interview, but she's a writer and journalist who's been published in Vice, Haunted and the 14 Times, has a PhD in Victorian Gothic, and can also currently be seen co-hosting Jack Osborne's Haunted Homecoming on Discovery+. Plus. In this interview, we're going to talk about a number of things, including Victorian seances, seances as a whole, and discuss a lot of different aspects of paranormal investigation. So please, sit back and enjoy this interview. So, thanks for joining me, Kate. Well, thanks for having me. Um, Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, well, I... Uh, my name is Kate Cheryl. I am currently absolutely riddled with the flu, so apologies for any hacking and sniffing that may happen. Um, I'm a I'm a writer by trade. That's my day to day job. I run the website Burials and Beyond. I, which is kind of I say it's life, death, and the weird bits in between. So it's everything from ghosties and ghoulies to graveyards, kind of fun little things for you to read you know on your way to work that sort of thing um i co-present the podcast loopholes which is kind of a a funny look at a a esoterotica shall we say um i've recently finished a phd so i'm now a doctor in uh, 19th century gothic and i can currently be seen co-presenting jack osborne's haunted homecoming on discovery and travel channel and wherever it's been syndicated off to <laughs> cool um so obviously as you said you're now a doctor uh mm. your phd in uh, was it victorian gothic you said yes yeah as, as with all phds they're kind of very long-winded but let's mm-hmm. let broadly say kind of spiritualism in the gothic so it's victorian cool. gothic really so i think that sort of leads into one of the other questions i've got here for you which is what's your earliest memory of you know the paranormal and that sort of thing and i guess that sort of leads into that why that's the sort of you know route you went down yeah well i i suppose i've always been a bit a bit spooky and a bit odd um which i suppose many of us that find ourselves in this sort of paranormal field tend to be quite odd children um but i think it really started off I think there was always an interest in ghost stories and, and things like that. And my my granddad was uh, was a believer in the paranormal. He's he's long gone now, but he gave me um, a book called Paranormal Encyclopedia in the very early nineties. And he used to sit on his knee when I was tiny and couldn't really read. And we'd look through all the little entries and the pictures together, and that sort of fed into then what I read, what I watched things like that. And I would get obsessed with them. Um, not sure if you remember, you're probably too young. But the, um, there's a TV show called Strange But True in the very early 90s with Michael Aspel. Yep. I know of it, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it's on YouTube now, if anyone fancies mm-hmm. a binge watch. But I, that to me was like full on obsession. Like every time it was on, I'd do little drawings, make little reports and things like that. And then, yeah, I had a kind of my first 
what I'd regard as my first real paranormal experience when I was about 12. And that was quite a big thing. That was seeing things over, over many, many weeks and ultimately years. And um, that sort of uh, solidified with me that there was something else real that we couldn't see, we didn't understand. And it, you know, maybe what Michael Aspel was on about was, was true. And those sort of um, very early sort of ghosty experiences sort of troubled me for many years. And then as I got older, I wanted to explain them more. I wanted mm -hmm. to understand, okay, why did I see that? How can I explain it away? And I've sort of straddled that skeptical believer sort of fence ever since, kind of constantly researching, constantly writing about the paranormal, but at the same time trying to understand and trying to debunk my own experiences as well. Cool. So I guess that sort of leads on to what uh, your paranormal beliefs are. So, you know, what you believe in, what you don't believe in mm. and what you think. I guess it, it's a very broad question that I've asked a few other people of what you think a ghost is, essentially. But yeah. it's quite a broad, you know, it's a very broad question. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Um, I'd say my, my paranormal beliefs are constantly changing, which I think is, is a, good, a good kind of state to have. Um, broadly, I'd say I believe in, like, the immortality of the soul. I believe that within humans there's something that exists after death whether that's um, like an energy or a consciousness. Um, I don't know. I'd like it to be a consciousness. Certainly that would be very comforting. And so I'd say that's the only bit that I found sort of semi-immovable in my belief system is that death is not the end. But as for everything else, what I believe in um, is tiny compared to everything that I think is, is a little bit dodgy, but I'd never, I'd never tell anyone else you know, what to believe in or what not to believe yeah, in. Because I, I certainly enjoy reading about it and hearing other people's theories and experiences. But um yeah, a lot of the a lot of my life in the paranormal is is people watching. I've got to say, even when I'm out on investigations or if I'm doing public events, things like that, I like seeing how different people interpret different evidence. Yeah. So things let's say one thing that I do not believe in as being paranormal orbs there you go yeah. that's that's the big controversy <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, i know that scene is a very sort of controversial thing but i'm again i'm fully in agreement that i don't get the hype around it because there's i think there's always too much of an explanation of it's either a bug or it's dust yeah i think almost if always yeah, if it's it's kind of gonna if you're using a digital camera like a point and shoot digital camera with flash, mm -hmm. you've always gonna you're always gonna have backscatter yeah. as as a as a probable cause. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're out and seeing orbs with your own eyes, then of course, you know, I'd never tell anyone, by the way, that's a load of drivel, you know, but but certainly a lot of the evidence that uh, I see presented, certainly online, as being proof of of ghosts in the afterlife. In, in orb form just seems to be like a, a bee or snow. Yeah. Honestly, when we had that snow recently, I thought mm -hmm. here we go. there's going to be a wave of <laughs> battlefield orbs around the country. Yeah. But um, yeah, as for what, what a ghost is, I broadly, broadly say personally, I believe it to be an energy, whether or not that energy is conscious or a memory or a loop or something like that. That I find yeah. very interesting. 
Cool. But, um, yeah. So what would you say are your favourite sort of elements of the paranormal? You know, are there any specific branches of it, you know, as an overall subject that you really enjoy? Mm-hmm. Um, well, as you know, I'm I'm very much into 19th century and the Victorians and things like that. So a lot of things that spread from the spiritualism movement, like different methods of seance, I find very, very interesting. So things like automatic writing, spirit, like spirit creativity, where people say that they're channeling mm-hmm. spirits and producing art or song. I'm doing a big project on the kind of people who channeled long dead composers at the minute you know that i find very interesting how people kind of transform what they believe to be spiritual intervention and then create something at the end of it you know um a bit like uh patrick swayze in the film ghost there you are that's my my main interest in the paranormal um i suppose things like that I'm, i'm always interested in in people in you know and and certainly how people interpret history like with a with a lot of paranormal locations that have opened themselves up to groups and visitors, they quite rightly, you know, put their their history, whether that's bloody or or tragic or whatever, you know, front and centre. I find it very, very interesting how that history is then interpreted by investigators. Um, because I think ultimately communication and words within the paranormal, and certainly how we see others, how we humanize the dead or how we commodify the dead i think it's very very interesting so i'm just i'm a nosy sod really in the paranormal that's what i am cool um so obviously leading on to that and different methods from that sort of movement uh scrying is Mm. one that obviously you did in the first episode of uh, jack osborne's haunted homecoming Mm -hmm. um and obviously during that you saw something yeah can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and sort of yeah, you know was, what you think you saw yeah it was very unsettling well the at um at welder's house at, at the osborne's house they have the most stunning stairwell that's just covered in mirrors the biggest mirrors you've ever seen and so as soon as we went there we just said we've we've got to do scrying how often do you get the opportunity to 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 use a mirror that big i mean you know fair enough it's nice enough to check your outfit in it but to be able to see if you can somehow lift your own consciousness and yeah almost sort of invite a different type of consciousness in it it just seemed seemed like prime territory and of course scrying's been been done for centuries and centuries you know i think a lot of people will be familiar with scrying through uh, john d you know the elizabethan um sort of occultist alchemist and i've done scrying on a small scale before and and, you know do quite frequently when i do public events i always think it's quite nice to bring scrying in as a a pseudo authentic sort as much as anything can be authentic in the paranormal um example of investigation but when i personally um did scrying in in haunted homecoming i really tried to focus and not think about the cameras not think about anything else and I really managed to probably detach myself more than I ever have before and I remember just feeling in the background because there was there was no one up there with me there was just a lot of static cameras thinking someone's someone's come out of one of the rooms now and there was someone in the background and it was as it felt as real as 
you know, as, as real as, you know, Jack coming out of a back room. Yeah. It felt so real. And then I just was absolutely convinced that I saw movement. I saw a man coming down the corridor. And there was, there was someone who I almost let in. Mm-hmm. And to see something that that substantial, not just like a glimmer or a or like a, a flicker of light, was was unexpected, I suppose, because I'd I'd never had such an extreme um, experience of scrying before. So maybe there's something to be said for investing in a in a massive mirror for your investigations. Yeah, it's one of those things that obviously. It's not a common thing. There's not, you know, there's not always that there. You don't always have mm. just a massive mirror that you can do this into. So like you say, it is one of those things of you're at this location with this very specific, um, mm. essentially piece of equipment. Yeah. And it's sort of a using that, I guess, almost distinctive to that place. Yeah. I think, I think adaptability in investigations mm. is something that isn't really pushed enough you know if you if you go into a, a new place and with a, a team or whatever and you've got your set equipment it can be very easy to get into that same loop of okay let's set up the REM pods let's set up the mel meters let's do calling out like we always do whereas um i think you can you can stagnate a bit doing that and you can kind of mm-hmm. you can lose passion for it certainly by doing the same routines over and over so i think maybe you know maybe adapting more and enjoying that research and enjoying that that background and enjoying whatever massive mirrors or bits of taxidermy or whatever that location has is um it's something that we should all really encourage i think those of us that you know want to go around ghost bothering at least yeah so obviously you do a lot of paranormal investigation yourself um Mm -hmm. what would you say is the best or even your favorite sort of bit of evidence that you've captured um to be honest, uh, my favourite experiences, I'm sure so many people can relate to this, are ones that we weren't recording at the time, or we were waiting for other people to come and join us. And so I think that's, it's sod, the sod's law and the paranormal is, is just so prevalent. But my most, I'd say my most treasured memory for, for several reasons in, in recent investigation years was... Um, uh, it was myself and and two other two other people, my friends Corinne and Lisa, and we were at um, we were in a location just outside of Bristol, we're at, uh, Warmly Clock Tower, and we were waiting for the people to arrive for this for this project that we were doing. And so we thought, well, let's let's get warmed up, you know, let's let's just try and set things up, you know, have a bit of a calling out, and we just set up um, upstairs a geophone, so just a little bit of a footstep tracker on the table with like it had a little REM pod attached to it and um we thought well let's just try crying out because we know that the uh it was the gentleman that was kind of like the the overseer of the pin factory was was kind of known to wander around the upper floors and we tried communicating with him Corinne is incredibly good at kind of altering her language to become time appropriate mm-hmm. which is it's brilliant it's they're they're both amazing um very very experienced investigators and it just seemed like everything slotted into place and suddenly we were getting almost like beyond yes or no communications through um through the equipment and they were very very clear they were very very clear of you know yes no who's here can you move closer if this can you closer if that and it culminated in 
me having the back of my hair pulled really hard and there was no one else in the room it was also, there was no one else in the whole complex you know it was very late at night and having that all together with two people that I really trusted and having such clear responses that we knew were completely in a, in a controlled environment um, was was really wonderful but then when we realized the lads that have got the cameras will be here in about half an hour so we had no we we didn't record any of it yeah and then we tried to replicate it when the lads had arrived and it seemed like the the spirit was only interested in communicating with women and it was the most frustrating <laughs> frustrating triumph i think i've ever had in the paranormal yeah so i know i've had while investigating we've had bits where again you take little breaks um you know you just do a little walkthrough to set something up for another bit you're going to film etc you don't have the camera on you something happens and it's like please tell me somebody was recording that yeah. and then it's that yeah. realization when you know nobody was and you know it happened but then you can't you know show anyone else or even review mm. it absolutely but you yeah. know for a fact that something happened that you can't explain yeah, yeah. I mean, the ultimate of that, I suppose, was last year, a, a big group of us went up to Chillingham Castle in Northumberland and we had uh, like full CCTV. It was amazing. It looked like proper tech hub, <laughs> you know, all through the apartments. Everything was set up to such an extent that I had to get changed before I went to bed in like the toilet because there was that much CCTV yeah. everywhere. And when we were investigating parts of the castle itself and some of the upper rooms that were had particularly unpleasant histories one of our party saw a full apparition when she was doing a lone vigil meanwhile the rest of us were in were in different rooms trying to incite something to happen mm -hmm. so that was kind of again very brilliant it was brilliant that she had their experience and you know some of us got quite interesting little bits of evidence but ultimately the place where we made it like fort knox there was absolutely nothing and poor sarah was reviewing hours and hours and hours of uh of recordings and there was nothing absolutely yeah. nothing but i mean that's part and parcel isn't it yeah um so obviously with the technology there do you have a favorite sort of piece of paranormal equipment um i think just to be really obtuse I'd say my my best experiences nowadays are just with pen and paper and my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that maybe of all things, like a small dictaphone, if you wanted yeah. to go down the EVP route. But I think you can get very, very caught up in spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of, in, you know, investing into the newest tech, the newest combination that's, a you know, a melmeter with a massive windmill on the back of it and a teddy bear sticking out the front on wheels you know you can get so caught up in that that you realize oh i've missed my rent payments because <laughs> i was investing in equipment so mm -hmm. i really think simplifying things um can kind of bring you back to kind of the essence of of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to capture and you're less distracted i mean the amount of stuff that i've seen missed by other people because they were busy fiddling with recordings when if they just looked up or listened properly mm -hmm. they could have gained a lot more from that experience cool um so obviously i want to talk a bit about seances and sort of the history of seances because mm -hmm. that is as you said that's sort of a specialty 
or a favorite mm. subject of yours yeah um so first i guess what is a seance for everyone listening well a, a seance wait well, it's quite simple it comes from the, the french word the old french word for sit or session and it, it just means um like well people sitting together and attempting to contact the spirit world or the great beyond however you interpret that but ultimately it's people sat down trying to contact the dead so that's that's kind of the the general definition of seance but of course over the years um it's changed very much we've always had spirit contact in one way or another you know there's when we look back at the like even the history of ghosts you've got them in ancient mesopotamia you know so we've, we've always sort of been aware of culturally of this idea of, of ghosts or ancestral ghosts but seances we know it today kind of has, has really developed from the 19th century modern spiritualism movement which broadly speaking i mean it, it's often credited as exclusively starting with the fox sisters in 1848 but um it, as with all things it's very very murky not necessarily but they're they're kind of our figureheads and so seance really is, is kind of developed from that, from basic hand holding. Is there anybody there? And then anything from automatic writing to REM pods can all be brought into the same idea of, of a seance, but they're generally group affairs. Yeah. Cool. And obviously spirit boards are another sort of approach to the same sort of goal mm. there. Um, what are your thoughts on spirit boards and Ouija boards? Yeah, I love Ouija boards, any kind of talking board, spirit board, any interpretation of it. I love it um, because because I'm a contrary little so-and-so and people get so wound up about them. But ultimately, it's, you know, you could write an alphabet on a bit of loo roll. That's a Ouija board. Well done. Are you going to be so terrified that you don't go into your bathroom now? You know, it's this kind of, it's one of the last sort of residual ghost-centric things that people seem to really latch on to even if they mm -hmm. don't have um paranormal beliefs like the amount of times you'll see people finding you know, old sort of pseudo antique uh ouija boards in houses and there'll be people online saying burn it there are spirits attached and you think oh my god what is that oh that's a parker brothers version is it all oh, truly terrifying that's a hasbro one i i, I love it because i i think they can be very useful tools in investigation yeah. i think most of us are, are very aware of the um the idiometer effect mm -hmm. so a subconscious movement of you know and there's some very interesting experiments that are being done to kind of eradicate as much conscious movement yeah. as possible, um with blindfolds and so forth same applies with table tipping you know mm -hmm. anything that involves subconscious movement but the amount of ridiculous behavior and I mean that in all senses of the word, of you know, very extreme negative and just like, what are you on about? <laughs> Behaviour that, that springs up around around Ouija boards is truly fascinating. It really is. I mean, do you remember, if, I think it was two, two, three years ago, Poundland brought yes. out their, their, was it their creepy home, creepy cove or whatever it was, um, collection, mm -hmm. uh, a fold out cardboard Ouija board. It was a spirit board, and I thought that was brilliant. It was like a quid for a bit of novelty decor. Yeah, ideal. And 
the yeah, back, was, yeah, the backlash that got. I remember the backlash was, more than the actual product. Exactly. It was amazing. There were people going to regional papers that then got picked up by the big big tabloids yeah. saying, I wrote this big article about it called like the, the great Ouija board debacle of, you know, 20 whatever. So people can go on burialsandbeyond.com and read that because I have screenshots. I have receipts for dodgy behaviour <laughs> in that. But um, yeah, people were going to uh, to the paper saying now as a as a professional you know ghost expert i can tell you right now that the public are all simpletons and they can't possibly understand the hellish powers that they'll be unleashing if they go to poundland and i just feel like someone should have gone i'm sorry <laughs> can, can, can you just take a look at yourself for a minute <laughs> you know, it was just it was mad and then people inventing their own histories saying you know if you get that you you know if you use a, a ouija board you can curse your whole house whether or not you believe in that sort of thing mm -hmm. and you can my favorite quote was that you can summon the demon zeus I, that's the correct response <laughs> that there's, mm -hmm. there's there's been a, like a, a sort of internet myth that only started up like 10 years ago that you can get stuck on a spirit called zozo but mm -hmm. that story didn't exist till about 10 15 years ago when one guy came out and said oh this can happen where it's 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 rubbish you know it's not a traditional ancient spirit it's because the two common words that you'll spell out on the ouija board are zozo and mama because yeah. they're at ends of the board but i love the idea of someone saying i'm an expert oh, what was that spirit called oh, no zeus so you need to be careful with a ouija board because you might summon an ancient god which, How to be fair, not, isn't someone it? you want to summon? No, I could do without summoning not. Zeus. Well, maybe he had a point then. You know, I stand yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you know, try and avoid any of the big gods, really. Yeah, they're quite yeah, busy. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, you've been to a lot of locations, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any sort of other than Jack Osborne's family home? Of course. Do you yeah. have any that sort of stand out to you? Um, specifically, any that are, you'd consider favourites? Um, favourites, favourites. My favourite always seems to be the last one I visited, really. So I like, I really like uh, the Mount Without. That's again in Bristol. There's a, a crypt area there, which I've had nights where not an awful lot has happened and, and other nights where I've had quite profound experiences. So I, I like that. And visually, you know, you, you're in an old uh, sort of, uh, redundant church so it's with permission it's not you know all this sort of trespass going into places of worship and so forth mm. um so it's it's really unique um unique venue i mean i've done talks there before and, and public events and things so that's it's the unique venues that you can go into and you think even if nothing happens i'm quite excited to be here because it's beautiful or it's got an interesting history um there's a place called St. Bennett's Abbey in Cornwall. That was beautiful. That, that was part, it's like an old extended coaching inn. And within tiny, unassuming part of it, it honestly felt like you were still sat in a coaching inn with people mm -hmm. coming in and out all the time, even though it was dark and empty. It was a really strange feeling. So certainly places that have a like an architectural quality to yeah. them. I mean, I've got to say Chillingham. Even though the dead 
Southworth. It was the most stunning place, you know, places like Jamaica Inn and again in Cornwall, you know, you think you're, you're always going to find multi layers of, uh, yeah. of nice experiences there. Definitely. Cool. Um, so I think that covers most of the questions I have, if not all of them, just double checking. So yeah, that's everything I had written down. Are there any sort of specific things you uh, want to bring up or mention? Um, oh, I don't know, really. I, what are your beliefs around um, this new obsession with demons everywhere? I So I believe in... I think I believe in demons. It's one of those mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think I believe in demons, mm. but I'm... You know, until I actually physically interact with one myself, yeah. it's kind of a, I'll take it at people's word that they've interacted with demons. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think they're as common as people seem to think they are. Or, you know, as yeah. everything sort of gets attributed to a demon nowadays um, yeah. in terms of the paranormal, especially, especially in a lot of sort of TV shows and a lot of sort of youtube stuff now you know a lot of the more produced stuff people it's always there's a demon here we're yeah, sensing like a demon yeah. yeah yeah as in you know ghosts are impressive and things moving or seeing shadows or even just getting you know intelligent responses should be enough mm. but it almost feels like from a network point of view sometimes especially for the shows that are going into you know their 10th 15th season they don't always necessarily feel like they've got enough with the ghosts because, you know, they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And I guess that's sort of a... It, it, a lot of the time, demons feel like they're being tacked on at the end to try and add a bit more fear into it because ghosts mm -hmm. aren't... I guess because ghosts aren't really scary anymore, if you know what I mean? Yeah. They're sort of... They're a lot more common, I guess, than they used to be. Yeah, definitely. It seems like everything's escalating. Mm-hmm. I suppose in, in that sense as well, more's being expected from from public events yeah. and things like that. That's certainly something that, that's worth touching on, is that um, being sorry, sort of a, a gothicist, a Victorianist, you know, um, when I, I do a lot of talks about the like the, an introduction to Victorian spiritualism, an introduction to Victorian seance, the traditions of, of the time, and I have felt that recently when you present the realities of, of certainly performance like mediumship in the 19th century a lot of fraudulent performance mediumship mm -hmm. it's brilliant it's really entertaining you know you've got ghosts wandering around the room carrying babies dancing with people stripping you know all this sort of, of thing and, and people are very keen to listen to these stories but and and appreciate that they were mainly fraudulent, you know, cabinet seances, things being thrown over the top. A lot of it's quite clearly um, manufactured as as an entertainment product. But those same people um, who want to learn more about that expect more from Victorian style seances that are being mm -hmm. sold today. As um, I see a lot of them advertised, a lot of them, you know, these group investigations with traditional Victorian seance. I think brilliant. What does that involve? Yeah. What exactly is a traditional séance? What what is a traditional ghost hunter? Because there's there's this you know as much as we see all this tech stuff and all these 
escalations in you know how many more bells and whistles can we add on to this enf meter you know if we're going back to basics who's who's basics you know are we going to hold harry price up as you know the ultimate ghost hunter when he himself was developing equipment like how are we going to be creating as much as we're creating new ghosts and new demons to frighten us are we going to be creating these new pasts because the reality wouldn't excite us enough yeah because we're so used to to equipment when you're actually faced with a room of silence and a very still table suddenly you feel like your 35 quid wasn't really yeah wasn't really worth it anymore and that's i guess that's the other thing is it's not a constant thing you know you can have entire investigations where nothing happens Mm. And it sort of is that expectation of, I guess, for group events specifically, people come along, they pay to come along to an event. Mm. And if nothing paranormal happens, which, again, it doesn't every time, as I think we all know, um, (laughs) it's one of those things of has that ruined their experience or should that, you know? Yeah. I mean, where where would you stand? Yeah. Yeah. Where would you stand with, um, like, getting a refund? I was promised ghosts. It's yeah. It sort of is a. It's one of the few. I guess. I mean. I guess it's if you go, you know, on like a public group bird watch, and then there's mm. no birds. It it's the same sort of principle of. I don't know where you know people stand with that, but mm. it's one of those. I guess you're there for the experience, not specifically the outcome. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd I'd hope so. I'd hope so that that most people were were following that. It does seem to be there's there's a lot of um. There's a greater disparity and um, a greater difference in what people want from investigations nowadays. Mm-hmm. They want activity, they want extremes, but they also want authenticity. And yeah. when you're bringing authenticity, certainly of, of the past, into things, you know, you're going to be. Um, I think I just saw an orb on my camera, by the way. <laughs> I should be dusting soon. Um, yeah, I, I think that we're going to have more divisions in the paranormal and a lot more. Um, let's say muck throwing in the paranormal between between uh, rival methodologies and warping methodologies as well so i think i think that's yeah. very interesting yeah and again like you say there's sev- there's a lot of different ways to approach the same goal and i i think that's obviously a good thing so mm-hmm. like you have Absolutely. a you have a location you could have like three or four different teams go in there and each team will probably do something different mm. that the others haven't yeah. Which is obviously always a positive, and it's, I guess, it's part of the ever-evolving sort of nature of just investigation as a whole. Some mm. people will go in and they'll use the most, you know, modern technology that has bankrupted them in the process. Um, others will use, you know, more classic techniques, and I guess at the end, it's all trying to get evidence, and it'll all get different results, which I suppose mm. is always a positive. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's also what what do we ultimately want to do with this evidence like what what do you do with with your evidence so, uh, yeah let's see that's the thing so <laughs> other than share it with other people there's not a lot to do with it yeah it's sort of a i know that me and people in my team sort of we most of us either believe or are you know skeptics who want to see either way uh, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a it's almost that we're trying to prove to ourselves that it's real and we're trying to get evidence for ourselves and mm. I just 
letting other people and sharing it with other people along the way. Mm-hmm. But it is that sort of a, I know there's a lot of different, you know, reasons and a lot of different sort of methods for why you would go out and investigate. So, like, you know, for example, why do you, what's your uh, reason behind investigating and capturing evidence? Uh, nothing on telly, is there? That's <laughs> No, I, I suppose a lot of it for me is 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 friendship. Is that I, you know, I I enjoy being with a lot of a lot of the people that I investigate with. I find it, I think, because um, a lot of my investigations recently, because I I live so far away from from a lot of my my spooky pals. Whenever I go on investigations now, they're they're like they're real events. Like like I said, going to Chillingham, going to the you know far flung. Um, parts of the UK that mm-hmm. it's it almost the the investigating is almost an afterthought sometimes not that it's treated as such because you know it's it's a central part of things but the idea of being able to to do your hobby with friends and people whose company you enjoy and people who you don't mind being stuck in the dark with for 12 mm-hmm. hours you know I think that's that's certainly an important thing for me but with with the investigations that I do but I'm not really I'm not one of these people that writes up big reports maybe mm. I should I know I, I like seeing other people's ones and certainly after we've done an investigation and they get you know so and so wrote this up I think oh god I'm so incompetent <laughs> maybe I should have done that but I certainly like blogging about them mm. you know and on, on my patreon I whenever I do an investigation or visit somewhere spooky it immediate write-up you know all the good the bad and you know the good the bad and the selfies they all go up um, so yeah, I, I don't really know why I do it. I suppose it's still scratching that itch. Mm-hmm. It's trying to to prove to myself that I'm not mad. That what I saw when I was yeah. a, a teenager was real, even if it's just proving it to myself. I'm I'm under no obligation, and I don't think any of us should feel under any obligation to prove our beliefs to others. Because I think you can get a bit het up with certainly the opinions of others in the paranormal. And I'm I'm very much guilty of that of being very concerned about what other people think of me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose it's just personal, personal growth, personal reasoning, and having those little things that you can mull over in in your mind and go, okay, it's it's almost reassuring when you get, maybe not with demony bad things, but when you get anything that's kind of that confirms some of your beliefs or challenges yeah. your beliefs. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it feels worth it to me, that it's something that I can go home and kind of dissect in my own time. And that's important to me, I feel. Yep. I mean, that, again, leads on to something that I know other people that I've spoken to within the sort of paranormal community have had, which is something that I myself haven't, and that sort of interaction or potentially, you know, dealing with uh, the spirits of family members. Mm. And that's one of those, that must be really satisfying and it's kind of a, I'm somewhere between, I want that to happen to me because, you know, it hasn't. And yeah. I feel like if there's anybody that you want to sort of talk to and interact with as, you know, a spirit, it would be somebody that's passed on, you know, somebody that you knew who's passed on as opposed to a random spirit from 300 years ago in a barn somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've I'd say I've only really had one... Um, instance where I feel that a family member came through and it was the same uh, granddad who 
would who introduced me to the paranormal really who believed that he had um paranormal experiences as a, ch as a child that he had a guardian angel and all of this stuff so it seemed almost fitting that he came through and at the time i was with um a, a group of friends many whom are I think some do some of the training for or have done the training for ASAP investigators. So they're, you know, they're, they know their stuff. They're very, very, very sceptical. And we had this long interaction on a on a spirit board where the answers that were coming through, they were too real. They were too precise to be, um, to be, there's a plane going overhead, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the, the answers that I was getting through were too real and too precise for them to be luck. And so we ended up um, like blindfolding me so that I couldn't be subconsciously moving, moving the planchette. And, you know, when my, my grandparents had um, incredibly unusual uh, middle names. And so when, you know, the, that name was asked to be spelled out and certain things about the family that were quite unusual when they came through correctly it affected me more than i thought it would because mm -hmm. ultimately like you say that's what you want you want confirmation from someone you knew someone who you really want to talk to again yeah and i thought that would make me really happy and it did it did to a point but it, it unsettled me a lot as well and made me it seemed very real all of a sudden. Like yeah. you say, when you're not speaking to a 300-year-old ghost in a barn and it's actually someone you spoke to a few years ago. I guess, ago. yeah. When it's yeah. you know, when it's personal to you, it is that, I guess it just feels a lot more raw and the emotions are a lot higher. Mm, so it definitely. is sort of a, you know, let's say when you're talking to somebody who you have never known, who's been dead for hundreds of years, um, when you're interacting with that spirit, it's kind of a, this is cool. I'm having a good time. You know, this is something I'm learning stuff. Whereas when it's somebody, like you say, that you were talking to a few years ago, who's no longer with us, it's like, hang on, this is actually sort of impactful and, yeah. you know, deep hitting. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of leaves an after effect. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that brings us to the end. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'll... I'll put some links to all of your, obviously, all of your socials, uh, your Patreon and your website in the description of the YouTube um, video of this. So anyone that wants to go check them out can. And yeah, if there's nothing else you want to add, we'll call it there. Yeah, uh, don't tell people what to do with Ouija boards. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and once again, I'd like to give a massive thank you to Kate for taking the time to be a part of this interview. If you want to find Kate's website, Burials and Beyond her Patreon, or her social media. I'll put links in the description down below. You can also find the show that she co-hosts with Jack Osborne, Jack Osborne's Haunted Homecoming, on Discovery+. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Tepes Paranormal Talking Point podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Kate. I've been Scott from Tepes Paranormal, and I'll see you in the next episode.